Jeff, it's another Wednesday. That means welcome to Give Him Hell, Brigham. And I have a question for you. Have you watched any of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City? I take so much pride in the fact that I have not watched any Real Housewives of anywhere. I hadn't watched any of anywhere, and I've watched some of Salt Lake City. And a lot of it is just like stupid crap that you would expect right? Like a lot of it is very like angsty against the church and things. And I was mostly intrigued by uh, Jen Shaw being on there, whose husband, who her husband is a a former uh, ambulance chaser turned football coach, who is uh, the special teams coordinator and defensive backs coach at the U. And I think he's a fine coach. He's a good coach. And he played at the great U. Great coach. I'll give it to he's him. A, he's a great coach, whatever. But I thought it was very interesting because I I just, all I knew about Real Housewives was that the people were insane on there. And I was kind of curious. I was like, well, what is, how are they going to portray him? Because maybe does he want to become a head coach someday? And how is this going to, right? Like you ain't seen like Mrs. Sabin Mrs. Nick Saban, whatever her name is, or Mrs. Davos Sweeney, they ain't going on Real Housewives of Tuscaloosa or whatever, right? Nice. Like, the, you know, they're not messing around with that crap, right? And so she, but she was the most insane person on that show. And then yesterday she was arrested for committing fraud. And apparently they were filming an episode of the show. They were supposed, they were all supposed to be going to Vail to go skiing together. And as they were getting ready and the crew was loading up, Everyone was like, where's Jen? And she left. And apparently someone had called her to tip her off that the cops were coming or the feds were coming to arrest her. So she just dipped off the set and left. And then wherever they, and then they knew what her car was. And so then they pulled over her car and arrested her on the side of the road. And so, oh my gosh, I did not know any of this. So she, at least that's what my wife told me. And I trust her because she looked into it. And so she is basically, she is, insane like the things on that show she it is insane but there's i mean there's some other ties on there like uh you know um dave rose's sister-in-law is another one of the uh is another one of the housewives who is also i think it was uh jimmy balderson's ex-wife and then they got divorced and she married dave rose's brother it's kind of a weird situation what a strange but it was yes that is the strangest thing and i I'm much more intrigued by the show now because I want to see how they handle it and want to see like, can they talk about it? Or is there going to be like, no, you can't say anything because there'll be like defamation things. Cause I'm curious to see how they handle it going forward. Right. I'm curious to see what Utah does with that. Like, no, obviously like Sharif Shah didn't do anything wrong. I mean, as far as we know. Right. Right. And it doesn't really do anything necessarily to make the university of Utah football program look weird. But is there, is there like, does he have to take a leave of absence because he's going through this with his wife? Like, does the school decide to distance themselves from the Shaws because of what's going on? I, I have no idea. And I haven't, I mean, the, the, you're, you're giving me the detail. I think I read it was something with a telemarketing scheme that targeted primarily older people. Which, if it's true, and I have no idea whether it is or is not, um, I mean, I don't think that the feds are going to arrest somebody who's on TV. So, for you know, all intents and purposes, a celebrity, unless they're pretty darn sure they've got a rock solid case. But that's just conjecture. I don't know. Um, I, 
I will judge people who target elders pretty harshly. And so if that's the case, then she's dead to me. I mean, she was never really alive to me because outside of her being a football coach's wife, I never would have known that she exists if it weren't for this, uh, this, this scandal. But that does make me a little bit upset, right? Like commit fraud. You know, if I want to defraud somebody and I target you, like you, you have an inherent level of, of responsibility and protecting yourself because you're, you're young, you know, what's going on. You, you should be aware of the trends, right? Like that's your duty as a young person. Now, if you get totally duped and it's like a really sophisticated fraud scheme, like obviously you're a victim, it's not your fault, but I think there is an inherent level of responsibility that a young person has. But I think once you hit a certain age, and I don't know if that age is 55 or 65 or or where it is, but once you hit a certain age, you're in your inherent level of responsibility, like the expectation that you have of knowing how to protect yourself goes down because technology, trends, like whatever, even language changes, right? Right. And how can you be expected as a 65, 70-year-old person to constantly stay up on all of those things? And if that's the target of a fraud scheme and you're a young person and you're seeking out those who are past whatever that threshold is, you are dead to me. You mean absolutely nothing to me. So if these allegations are true, I'm she's dead to me. I'm very, very curious to see, is there any tie to Coach Shaw? Did he know, right? Like we know he was an attorney before he was a football coach. So clearly he would have had, especially, I, I think he was, like he worked at like Siegfried and Jensen, I think. And so I think he was like a, I think you said ambulance chaser, right? He's a personal injury attorney. Um, he's going to know the ins and outs of weird laws. Like that's kind of what personal injury, and, and really Siegfried and Jensen's like a family everything attorney. So he's going right. to know, at least at a high level, what is it isn't legal. And is there any tie back to him? Did he know? Was he complicit? Was he somehow completely in the dark and had no clue that his wife was doing this? I'm very curious to see what happens there. And if she was targeting elders, then I hope she spends a significant amount of time in prison. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a very uh, spicy off-season storyline yeah. to track, right? And it's, you know, that has some tangential ties to BYU. And so... It's, that's how we're working that in there. But you also, you put another uh, thing on here. And so obviously the PAC 12 is having a great run as a whole on the conference. Um, yep. You know, by the way, some fans of certain programs within that conference, you'd think you'd be thinking that it was their program carrying the entire league and not UCLA carrying to the PAC, you know, carrying them to the final four. But John Wilner, um, who covers the PAC 12 for the San Jose Mercury news said, why are Oregon USC matched in the sweet 16? We went deep into bracketing, process and discovered that it is kind of sort of BYU's fault. And this ties back to something that you said last week, well, something that you posted and then quickly retracted. It was like a person on a paddleboard in the water. One of those inspirational things. you said, everything is kind of sort of BYU's fault. Now I will, <laughs> I, 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 re- I, I've tweeted this several times in the past week. I did retract one because it felt like it was kind of a personal attack And that person I know off of the internet is going through some very real challenges. And I felt really bad because I really intended to mock John Wilder, 
and I used this person. He was the innocent bystander in my drive-by shooting of John Wilder. And so I felt bad. So I did retract that. That was irresponsible by me. But how stupid is that statement? It like really it's the is. Sweet 16. Uh, well, it turns out it's BYU's fault. I don't care if it is. It is so irrelevant. The game's happening. You've got two teams in the Sweet 16. If you want to blame anybody, blame UCLA for being an 11 seed. Blame the team who's now in the final four for sucking bad enough throughout the year that they didn't earn a higher seed. Like they were barely like most people didn't think they should even be in the tournament. They were, they were the first four out by a lot of prognostications. So let's not blame BYU because by the skin of their teeth, UCLA got into the tournament. Like yeah, that's shut up and be happy to be there. John Wilner, everything is kind of sort of BYU's fault. So that's becoming my thing. So we do have an inspirational post. You can find it on my Twitter account and I'm going to share it as much as I possibly can that everything is kind of sort of BYU's fault. And if you think about it, you think of everything that has gone wrong with all the other programs, it's BYU's fault. It's just BYU's fault. Even COVID, remember this? Remember, and we're mostly fans of the Pac-12 because their teams weren't playing, so what else did they have to do? But they went through and they tried to say that BYU played Navy, and then three or four weeks later, Navy had to shut down. Uh, yeah. BYU played Louisiana Tech, and three or four weeks later, Louisiana Tech had to shut down because of COVID, which was spreading rapidly throughout the country everywhere. It was BYU's fault that, that it's Navy always shut our down. fault. It's always BYU's fault, and it Everything. was un, it was unsafe for BYU to be playing. But then yes. it was magically safe, like three weeks later. Well, and then once it became safe for everybody to play, and and, and the Pac-12 decided it was safe, it was. How silly and irresponsible is BYU for only testing three to four times a week? Ugh, the spread of this virus. I can't believe those irresponsible volleyball players in Utah County. They just don't get it. They really just don't. And it is so, I think everything, the entire global pandemic can really be pinned back to those volleyball players and oh, maverick wow. goers in saratoga springs or orm or uh -huh. wherever it was uh-huh yeah no everything is kind of sort of byu's fault from seating when you're playing games in the ncaa tournament um i made a tweet and this was so i i replied to john wilner and it was some smart ass comment i can't remember what i said but it was something like it's also byu's fault that the ice caps are melting that there was the greek financial crisis uh, I think I said sea turtles are dwindling. I mean, it was I, I, a few things uh, that I blame BYU for. And he had a pretty lighthearted, funny response back that he said, not the financial crisis, but all of those other things, yes. And it was funny. It was lighthearted. And in true Wilner fashion, like Wilner doesn't just reply, right? Like he does the Tony Jones quote tweet everything in the world. So he quote tweets it in hopes that his minions will come after me or whatever. So he quote tweets it. And it gets a, I get a reply from, I don't know, some Pac-12 fan. I think he was a guy from Cal or some, I don't know where he was from. And he was just like, LOL, BYU and their fans, they just don't get it. And I sat there and I pondered that. I ignored it. I didn't respond, but I pondered about that. What do you think it is, Garrett? What don't we get? What is it that we don't get? Honestly, I, I don't know. I can't, like, I have never been able to understand it. I cannot wrap my head around it. It just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make any sense, but we are morons. 
I mean, that's what I know. I know that we're dumb. I know we just don't get it. And everything is kind of sort of BYU's fault. I want to introduce a new segment. I'm excited about this segment. We're going to excited do it. about it too. We're going to do it every week until we get tired of doing it or we forget about it. But we're going to say we're going to do it every week and we're going to start this today. It's the hot take cannon. Now think of a hot take, right? Like everyone knows what a hot take is, but let's talk about it. It's a take that maybe is unconventional. It's maybe something that is against the grain. It's maybe something that just seems so illogical or, or, or unreal that it can't possibly be a take, a hot take. So here is my hot take. I have loaded up the hot take cannon. My hot take this week, BYU in 2021 will put up better passing numbers than they did in 2020 with Zach Wilson at the helm. Now I say that I have, I have reasoning behind this, but I say that, and I want to put this huge overwhelming like caveat. Zach Wilson is still a great quarterback. Zach Wilson, I believe has all the traits to be a very, very good, if not great NFL quarterback. I am very confident in his abilities and I am very confident that he is going to be successful. Having said that, I've been watching some YouTube videos. JT O'Sullivan, a former NFL quarterback, he does some, he, what does he call it? The quarterback school or something QB's, like QB that? QB school. QB school. He's got a YouTube channel where he just breaks down quarterbacks. And so I've been watching him. I've been watching film myself. And here's one thing I know. Zach Wilson, while he has an immense amount of talent, he can make every throw. He still has room to grow, and he would be the first one to tell you that. And one of those areas is his inability, I will say, maybe not an inability, but just his reluctance. I don't know. He missed a lot of reads. That's what I'm going to say. And we were talking about this before the show, and you did. A, you made a great point, right? Like, we weren't in the quarterback room. We don't know necessarily what the read of a play is. We don't know what coaches are instructing Zach to do. And that's true. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of plays. And I, I most recently watched Zach in the, the Houston game. There were a lot of plays that this is what leads me to think that reading the defense while he can do it is still an area that there could be a ton of improvement for BYU's quarterback next year is Zach does very frequently go from read one to read two back to read one. Now it's, it's football. Football's fast. Like the idea that a quarterback's going to have the time to go through read one, read two, read three, read four. Like that's just an antiquated notion. They're really not. It's read one, two, maybe three run. Like that's what you've got run or throw it away. But it was interesting to me how often he went from one to two back to one really quickly, almost like he never really took his eyes off of read number one. And there were so many throws where that other read, whether it was read one or read two, was open. The other one was wide open, wide open, not just a little open, wide open. One play that really stands out, and uh, well, two plays. There are two plays that really stand out to me, and this is why I I wonder if this was more common than we realize when we're watching on film. The first one, uh, it's the fake reverse flea flicker that he hits Isaac Rex and Isaac Rex gets tackled at like the two yard line. Some, I think it was in the second quarter, maybe late in the first quarter. Uh, it's a tough play. No question about it. Right. To 
to get a pitch, catch the ball, set your feet, avoid the pressure, make a read. Incredibly tough play. And I think it's probably likely that read one was Isaac Rex. And Isaac Rex is open on this play. The ball's a little bit underthrown. Rex goes and makes a great play. Tough throw. We're really, we're really picking nits when when we when we criticize this throw. But if you look at Dax Milne, he could have like fielded a punt. He was so wide open standing in the end zone. And it wasn't like that was a read that was behind Zach. Like that was, that was the second read. You look at the mesh point of these routes. I don't know if Dax is read one or read two, but it's very, very obvious that those are his two reads. And he missed a wide open touchdown. Rex was also open, but Dax was wide open. Now, the reason I say maybe this happened is Dax's reaction. He was visibly frustrated standing in the, in the end zone when he didn't get the ball. Dax Milne, the guy who was targeted more than anybody else, who went for more than a thousand yards, he was visibly frustrated when he didn't get the ball on that play. Okay, fast forward now, first drive of, I believe it was the first drive of the second half. BYU's in a third and 15, uh, right at about midfield. And play happens, and it's it's really a two-go route, right? The, the, the two outside receivers on either side of the line are running go routes. And then Neil Pau is running. It looks like it's probably an option route, whether he's running uh, uh, just a, like a, a true post or he's cutting his route off short and running over the middle. But he's going towards the middle of the field. And then there's a little kick out, like the, the safety valve, right? He's the running back coming out of the uh, out of the backfield. And on this play, you would think, okay, your reads are going to be check your go routes, really check the safeties. If the safeties are covering the go routes, then your middle field read is probably going to be open so long as you have time to, to let that route develop. Zach had a decent amount of time. He had to step up with the pocket. But ultimately what he did is he stepped up into the pocket, did a nifty little check down to, I can't remember if it was Algier or Katoa coming out of the backfield, nifty little check down, goes for five or six yards, BYU ends up punting it away. On that play, Neil Powell is wide open, just wide open. And again, we don't know what the reads are, but Neil Powell's reaction was visible frustration. This is a game against Houston, one of Zach's best games where he made some of his best throws. And there were two receivers, uh, and it happened multiple times throughout the game. But on these two plays that stand out in my head, where they were visibly upset after that throw was not made, which leads me to believe that those receivers felt knew that expected maybe that they were going to get the ball and they didn't. Yeah. So, and I don't, and there's a couple things with that. Like one, we don't know what we don't know, right? Like we don't know what the, like they have been, may have been open and they may have been like the fourth read and Zach didn't get there in time or, you know, something happens or we don't know what Zach saw. We don't know um, what even the order of the reads were where we don't know what, you know, Zach was being asked to do or what they were being coached to do. And so, and also, I don't know, and maybe if, uh, you know, I know, Ryan Hancock, you are a listener of the show. You can reach out to us and text me and Jeff and let us know like what an acceptable like level is, right? Because the expectation, the expectation of perfection, um, you know, the expectation of perfection cannot like that's unrealistic, right? No quarterback is going to make every single read every single time. And 
the, you know, you're going to miss things. And so if you, you know, you have to, I don't know what that threshold is of like, you know, you are good, you know, you know, like in baseball, right? Like it's, if someone's batting over 300, you say, yes, they're a good hitter. They're hitting over 300. If they're hitting over 270, they're pretty solid. They're not draining things. And it's like, you know, then you work your way down to the Mendoza line, or if they're below that, like you don't even want them in your lineup at all. And so I don't know what that threshold is in terms of making reads and hitting reads and missing, you know, and missing things of what is considered good. And obviously too, with JT O'Sullivan, as he's going through on these QB school things, like he is trying to be as nitpicky as possible because that is the niche that he's carved out and that's what he is going for. And so that's just, I mean, that's, you know, kind of sucky for us, but, you know, because it kind of gets our, you know, we're so hyped about it and love everything Zach doing, but it's like, he is not perfect. Right. And he stalls room. He still needs to grow. And, um, so it's interesting as to, you know, it'll be interesting to see his development and especially, you know, if he ends up in New York with that new staff there, or hopefully if he falls, you know, if he falls to the 49ers or to the Falcons, kind of how they take him and where he progresses. And ideally, if he can be in a situation like Patrick Mahomes was to where he can sit for a year, that'd probably be even better because he does need to work on, you know, he does need to work on, you know, getting through those and kind of adjusting to the speed of the game and getting through those things. And, you know, part of that may just be the trust in the receivers that it wasn't there. And that's simply it. And it wasn't necessarily that he didn't see it, but it's like, he didn't have the trust. And so that's, sure. you know, and that that's another thing there. Um, but I do, I do like that. I, I do like this, uh, you know, the new, the hot take cannon. The hot take cannon. Well, and I, and I think, and I think I'm with you there that the passing numbers will, mm, I think the passing numbers will, be better, I guess. Which which passing numbers? Are you saying just like volume yardage? overall? Yeah, I, I think that BYU. What did they end up with? And now obviously, so let's let's take it like per game. BYU threw for about three hundred yards a game. I think a little bit more, if I remember right. I think BYU will exceed that number. Now there's a lot that goes into that, right? One, Jeff Grimes is gone. Aaron Roderick is in. Aaron Roderick wants to throw the ball a little bit more. Two, I think BYU's wide receiver core even after losing Dax Milne, who we're going to talk about a lot later on, uh, it's going to be better. Yes. So that helps too. But also, while I don't believe that any of Jaron Hall, Baylor Romney, Jacob Conover, Sol J. Mayava Peters, none of them are as good of a quarterback as, as Zach Wilson. I do believe that they could be just as, and I believe they will be more effective in terms of gaining positive yards within the construct of the offense because the one thing that i think is undeniable when you watch the film and you really break it down and you let people who are smarter than either of us break down the film with you and you watch what their breakdown is byu's passing attack was nothing short of beautiful like yeah. their, their route concepts that offense it's a plug and play offense i believe for a quarterback if you can teach a quarterback where their reads are and they can make simple throws more often than not, somebody was open. And it didn't matter if BYU was playing Western Kentucky or if they were playing UCF. BYU always had guys open. The offense, I like I say, I, I think Zach is going to be a very, very good NFL quarterback. I think he's got some stuff to work on. He would tell you he's got some stuff to work on. Um, so he'll work on those things. And I think he's going to be very successful. So what I'm saying about a quarterback, you know, missing reads and BYU being able to plug in another quarterback and, and kind of just pick up where they left off. That doesn't take away anything from, from Zach. Like Zach is still very, very talented. 
but I do think the BYU is going to be able to continue the, the positive momentum next year because it's kind of a plug-and-play system. It's like John Beck to Max Hall, right? Like that old offense, Robert and I 1.0 for that time, that era of college football, it didn't matter who the quarterback was going to be. If they could make the simple throws, they were going to be successful. Right. And Max Hall ended up, you know, he had a cup of coffee in the NFL, but he wasn't an NFL guy. John Beck was right. John Beck was drafted in the second round. And even after he kind of flopped, he still kept getting shots. So like the Redskins, because he had so much NFL talent, right? Uh, Max Hall wasn't that guy. He was an undrafted free agent, even though he put up better numbers at BYU. And once he got cut, he never went back. But that system, Max could make the reads and was good enough to make the simple throws that the offense gave him. And because of that, BYU's offense didn't miss a beat as they went from John Beck to Max Hall. I think we could see something very, very similar this year. Zach Wilson, NFL quarterback, he's going to go do his thing. I think he's going to be very, very successful. But I think that the next quarterback at BYU, because of this offense and because of the, the reads that I see that Zach missed, if they can make those reads, they don't have to be Zach Wilson. And maybe that's the best way to put it. Zach's missed reads usually ended up in completed passes still like the reads that he did make he just made the tougher throw if the quarterback can make those simple throws they don't have to make those crazy throws that zach could make right and it's i think a lot of it will be system and i think some of it too is just kind of zach's attitude is like a gunslinger right like and it's um and so if you are the gunslinger then you're going to you know want to take the deep shot and that's you know part of that is just and is the part of that is just an attitude thing. Right. And so it's, I, you know, I think I agree with you. I, I think two part of it maybe is, is we see guys in the game longer, there may be more passing and less of the just running the ball for the entire third and fourth quarter, because I think in general, I think it wouldn't be surprised if we see, you know, try to run the ball more just to take some of that pressure off, at least in the early part of the season to let the quarterback be a game manager rather than, you know, trying to take out and go out and run the show. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's crazy, right? I, I don't think it's unheard of or crazy um, for that to happen, especially just because Zach played, you know, he, he, you know, sat for about three games worth of time on the bench. It's true. He really did. Um, I was thinking about my personal life over the, well, really for the last little while. And I have decided that I need to become more self-sufficient, meaning that right now, look, we, I have some other little various income streams, but my, my primary income stream comes from the bank. And I need to be able to have more organic income streams that, that come to me. And I was thinking one way, I have been watching a ton. And I don't know if I'm actually going to do this. I go through lots of crazy ideas in my head. Like it, I, I almost booked a trip to go to like Virgin Valley, Nevada and mine for Opal because it sounded fun, like something I should do. Uh, but I had this this thought over the last couple of days, I want to make soap. Have you ever watched the cold soap process on YouTube? No, this is, this is out there for me. This even. is out there, but you need to watch this. It is some of the most captivating stuff that I've ever seen. And the things like the designs within soap that these people are making is unbelievable to me. And the reason I bring this up, because I know that you're wondering in your head, how the hell did we get to soap? Um, 
all of my suggested videos on YouTube. I, I currently have the QB Academy or the QB School pulled up. All of the suggested videos on the right-hand side of my screen are soap videos because I've been watching so many of them. So that's where, that, that's where this is getting brought up. You need to watch the cold soap making process. It's cool. And I want to do it. And maybe I'll sell it. Maybe I'm not very good at it. And I'll just have to do it by myself. I don't know. But I want to make soap. I think it's cool. And this process has me sold. Like it is like art. It is soap art. That is, you know, if that's a bold move or a bold thing to say. And I, I don't know if I'll get into watching the soap like that, but I will try. I'll give try it, and see if I just can get one. It. Just see. You know, okay, I'll give it one. But as you were speaking of organic things, let's take a break and give a shout out to our sponsor, Hershey High Country Beef. Scott grew up raising cattle. In fact, his grandpa was an immigrant from Switzerland who helped settle the Bear Lake Valley and was one of the first to raise cattle there. Scott grew up owning from his grandpa and dad the ins and outs of raising beef, and it's always been his dream to own his own ranch. Scott found himself immersed in corporate America with his career, but always kept that passion for ranching on the side as a hobby. He and his wife raised five sons and one daughter on their ranch. In the past, ranching was just a hobby. The calves would be sold off to meat suppliers and distributors. But recently, as we've all experienced what can happen with disrupted supply chains, um, the shortage was not due to lack of beef, but rather the inability to process and transport to consumers. Hershey High Country Beef the, has solved this issue as they eliminate the middleman and provide high quality organic beef directly to consumers. Uh, so the SWH Ranch raises grass-fed Angus beef in the mountains of southeastern Idaho in the summer and along the Great Salt Lake in the winter. They are currently reserving whole or half beef that will be ready in the early summer, and in the future as they grow their business, they hope to provide an on-demand meat option for monthly delivery. So these are mountain, pasture-free range, grass-fed, hormone-free, and all animal transport and butcher fees are included in the price. So this is your out-the-door price. A whole side of beef will cost you anywhere between $2,600 and $3,200 and require a $750 deposit. You're going to get about 400 pounds packed of meat and a half side will be about 200 pounds and roughly half that price. Um, and so that's going to be, if you are talking freezer space, it's about six shelves in a freezer is a half side of beef. Um, which is or 20 cubic foot, if you, depending on what size freezer you have. So if you get a whole side of beef, you're going to, you know, you're basically going to fill up a whole chest freezer with it and you're going to be eating good for the foreseeable future. So you can find them at hersheyhighcountrybeef.com. That's H-I-R-S-H-I highcountrybeef.com. And well Jeff, done. it is transfer season. It is transfer season. It is transfer season. BYU has been active we got to talk about the transfers out first, right? Because BYU, BYU basketball had a scholarship crunch. We've talked a ton about BYU football's scholarship crunch. BYU basketball also had a scholarship crunch. What were they at? They were at 14 spoken scholars, 14 scholarships were spoken for next year. You only get 13. Correct. So they were, they were, they were over limit. Yeah. They Somebody were was going to have to leave. Yes. Which you can expect. Someone's going to leave every year. That's just the reality of college sports in 2021. Oh, yeah. Especially basketball. Like, uh, take BYU out of it. Look how many players are in and out of the portal immediately after their season is over. This yeah. is the era of college basketball that we're in. So, Jesse Wade, who's not on scholarship, really doesn't help us out much. Uh, Jesse Wade leaves. He might still come back as a walk-on, right? He was a walk-on to begin with. Doesn't hurt to come back as a walk-on. Jesse Wade leaves last week, I believe just after we finished recording is when that news broke. Yep. 
And in the last 48 hours, Connor Harding, Wyatt Lowell, and Colby Lee also announced that they will be transferring. And the first take that, that, that people have is how can Mark Pope preach the best locker room in America if all of these players are wanting to leave the best locker room in America? And I know you have some thoughts on that. I want to hear your take, your hot take, maybe not the hot take cannon, but the hot take artillery rifle. What is your take on whether or not this is the best locker room in America? Well, I think best locker room in America is a multifaceted thing, right? Like part of having the best locker room is, you know, being the best team and the relationships, being excited when you get unstuck out of an elevator, like all that rah-rah stuff. But also part of building the best locker room is getting better players in that locker room, right? And being Win- a good winning team games. Yeah. Is, is the combination of the two, right? Like you can't just have the talent if everyone is selfish and playing hero ball and not, you know, playing within the system, but then you can have the best system and everyone moving the ball and everyone loves each other and is playing together as a team and there's no selfishness, blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't get you anywhere if your players suck and can't hit any shots. So there's finding that balance. And I think, you know, it is a hard part of it. And that's something that, you know, Pope has kind of developed. Right. And, um, in terms of, you know, it's a skill that as a head coach, you have to develop of be able how to, you know, and as a manager of having those hard conversations of being saying like, look, this is what we said you need to progress. Like, you know, and I think part of it is if guys are kept in the dark, then it's a harder conversation to have. And I think some of those three, some of them are probably more ugly than others. Right. Cause I mean, like why low will transfer to BYU after originally committing to Pope at UVU, but he was hurt. He wasn't seeing any playing time. You know, Colby Lee got a decent amount of playing time last year when Yoli was out. And then it went straight downhill as soon as he came out. And then like, and he didn't get much playing time and was very much, you know, Richard Harward was favored over him at the end of the season. Connor Harding was a guy who played 20 minutes, 20 plus minutes a game last year. And we expected him to take a big step forward. He didn't. And he averaged 20 minutes a game this season, but once after, you know, the midway point in the season, once we got into conference play, his playing time tanked and he just wasn't hitting shots. And so it's, I think as long as, you know, we talk about having exit interviews, but if you are, you know, if things are kind of ongoing where it's like, look, we gave you this time, this is what you're not doing. Or like, we've been tracking you in practice and you're not hitting these shots. Like, this is what you like, you know, if you can take it off of, you know, if you can take it off of like, this is not a personal thing. Like it's, this is the performance that we need, whatever. And it's like, we don't see it coming from you. We've worked on this and obviously it's a hard situation because in a sense, you're basically firing someone saying like, yeah, you can stay if you want, but we're not going to play you. Or even just straight up saying, we're not renewing your scholarship for next year. You need to go into the portal. And that's, it's always a hard conversation to have, but you can, there are things you can do to kind of make it less, you know, sucky. And, but I mean, realistically, those three guys combined for like what we were talking about this last night it was like 12 points a game. Yeah, the, the, the four of them, 12.1 points a game. And like, I get it. Like Colby Lee is one of my favorite players. And uh, it is one of my favorite BYU tweets is Barstool Big Cat from Barstool when BYU was playing, I think it was in the Maui Invitational against Kansas. And Colby Lee uh, caught the eye of Big Cat and there was a thread of just Colby Lee running 
because Colby Lee was one of the ugliest runners. And now it did improve. He got a, his technique got better this year, but he was never getting the ball. And big cat posts this video of him just running up and down the court, never getting the ball, never getting down on defense in time. And it's like, yeah, this is just a big man getting to work out, getting to sweat. It's not even playing. Won't register a stat on the box score. It's one of my favorite tweets and my favorite Kobe Lee moments. Uh, but at the end of the day, right, like 12 points a game between these four guys, like there's there's more effective uses of those scholarships. And to me, I think you nailed it on the head. Best locker room in America is multifaceted. And one of those facets is competition. Like you have to compete in order to improve. And if you don't improve, then you're not serving the locker room well. Like that's it. Now, I, I, I do want to clarify and because we don't know we don't know that you know we're we're insinuating that this was BYU's decision and it probably was but or at least BYU is not fretting this decision one bit uh but I don't know that these conversations were ever hey Colby you're cut sorry I, I I just don't think that's what it is right I think it really is more of a hey look Colby Lee why pick one uh, hey, Colby, you're playing time. You played less than 10 minutes in every game since December. And we don't see that increasing unless you improve a ton. Uh, we have Richard Harward. We have Caleb Lohner, who we think they're going to be a bigger part of the rotation next year. We have a bunch of recruits, big men coming in, and we want to attack the transfer portal and add another big man. We don't see your playing time increasing. In fact, it will probably decrease from the already minimal minutes that it is right now. If that is not a role that you want to have, then we would encourage you to look for the transfer portal to find a better opportunity to play. We'll help you find that school. If you want to stick around at BYU, fine, but know that that's the plan. Your, your, your minutes are going to be very few and very far between. And right. I think you look at these three guys, that's probably what the, what the whole situation was. Jesse Wade, he's a walk-on. He's trying to go find a scholarship. That makes all the sense in the world. But these other three, it's like, hey, Wyatt Lowell, you haven't played basketball in two years. You played in seven games, right? And you're coming off a major injury. Uh, you already, even when healthy, it was going to be kind of tough to find minutes for you. It's going to be tougher going forward. Connor Harding, we expected you to take a step forward. It didn't happen. Your minutes dwindled this year. I don't see that increasing next year, right? And, and it's tough. These players, I think, um, you know, they have egos. Not bad egos, but they have confidence. And they, they believe that they're great. And so that's a tough conversation to have, and it's led to some ill feelings. You've seen people's wives on Instagram talking about it. But at the end of the day, I think that's how these, these transfers came to be. Right. Uh, and I think it's, it's really kind of, or something I guess interesting to look at it in how this all works out is that we, it, it's weird because a lot of people too have like, you know, said like, well, this is going to, how is this going to hurt recruiting? And Mark Pope, this was only a second year, right? Like he didn't, the only person of those that he recruited was Wyatt Lowell. And if you say, okay, this dude's played in seven games in the last two years because he's been hurt or he's been hurt. Well, I guess he had to sit out last year, but then he was hurt and, you know, like couldn't even play this year. Like it's, 
say like, we don't know if we can count on you. Sorry. Like it's, we need, you know, and that's the same thing that in Jesse Wade. And I mean, Jesse Wade, he stayed because, but it was like, dude, you have been hurt for the two years that you're here. Like we can't put a scholarship on you if you can't actually, if your body can't give us minutes, sorry. And so, and it's unfortunate. And so it's interesting to see where they go. Um, obviously Colby Lee, his wife and um, Connor Harding's wife, they are, both of them are on the women's team. Um, so seeing if they kind of go as a package deal, do Connor and Colby just go over to UVU so they can stay or kind of how that all works out. Um, I, I would bet all three of those guys end up at UVU. That's my, that's my bold prediction. All three of them go to UVU. I could see Wyatt Lowell going to like GCU because he's from Arizona and his wife was very adamant about getting out of Provo on his Instagram. <laughs> that is, that is so true. I could see that him going true. to the rock and playing at GCU, which wouldn't be, which would not be a bad spot for him to land. Right. No. Or like, um, but the last thing before we start talking about incoming transfers and, and who they might be, uh, this does even out, right? Like eventually BYU is going to have a very, 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 very good player who transfers because they want to go and find a bigger opportunity in the ACC. I don't know. Or they just go pro, right? Like that's right. going to happen. Like, there are going to be opportunities where it's BYU that the transfer is, is trying to graduate from BYU, not with their degree, but from the program to a different level of basketball. And that's going to hurt. It's going to suck. It all like it, it's a two way street. It does go both ways, right? Like there are transfers where BYU kind of pushes a little bit, and then there are transfers where BYU is trying to pull them back in and they leave anyways. That's just the nature of college basketball in this era. The transfer portal has changed the game, and that's what it is. It's not like one and done. Everybody's talking about one and done, right? Of you have to play one year in college before you go to the NBA. The transfer portal has made one and done kind of a thing everywhere. Who was the guy? I can't remember his name. He ended, I don't know where he ended up. He was transferring from UNLV, but BYU courted him last year. And he, he's now played, I think at three different schools in three years. Cause he transferred again after this year. Mm-hmm. And it just remember. happened. Like that's, that's the nature of college basketball. Mac McClung was a stud at Georgetown transferred just because right like this is just what happens in college basketball and it's only going to get worse if the ncaa does what they should do and pass a one you know one time immediate eligibility waiver you're going to see more people transfer like it's just going to happen yeah i don't um yeah i think it's it'll be interesting to see especially going i think it is awesome though that how mark pope is trying to completely rebuild this roster and find and fill every hole possible, you know, and as we look into the um, incoming guys now, we know uh, not Richard, Rich Saunders, because that's who already signed out of Wasatch, who is a very good player, but the other Saunders coming, uh, was it Mike Saunders coming from Saunders Saunders, Jr. Mike Saunders Jr. Who signed and played at Cincinnati this year. And also he went to Wasatch Academy uh, with Caleb Lohner, and uh, he put his name in the portal and it's, he's been kind of hinting kind of somewhat publicly that it seems like a Provo is a likely destination for him. Uh, other people have asked about and kind of talked about Timmy pool um, transferring from Utah. Um, I think it's Timmy, it, Timmy Allen, Timmy Allen. Sorry. 
um, Timmy Allen, and I think it is unlikely that he, um, I think it's unlikely that he ends up in Provo, but I think those conversations have happened and they're even swinging for the fences on a couple guys, um, you know, that have you know, not been so publicly. And I don't know that they are getting, you know, I don't know how serious those conversations are, but they are leaving no, no stone unturned in this. And I think, um, you know, so it's, I don't know if there's any other names of uh, Robbie McCombs over Vanquish the foe put out a great list earlier this week of who everyone is talking to. And that's basically, that is the, you know, Robbie's going to have the most up-to-date in, you know, information on that. But I think it's, you know, not just from big schools are getting like kickbacks. Like I think the staff has even been talking to like, you know, there are a couple of kids that are like leaving some of the service academies and, you know, some like big sky schools and things like it's, they are looking high and low for players who can play and they don't care where you came from. They don't care, you know, what your situation was is like, if you can come in and play and contribute and make the team better, they will look if, at you. If you could play, you can. Yep. If you could play, you can play. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. There's even a McClintock and it's not you. I know but there is a McClintock. It is a G McClintock even. <laughs> it is a G McClintock out of air force. What is his name? Greg? Glenn. 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 Glenn unfortunate name. I'm sorry, Glenn, but your parents did you a disservice with that one. Glenn is just like a creepy name. I heard a commercial uh, on the radio when I was in Southern Utah. So it was on 99.9 country and it was some ad about the name Gary and how Gary is used to be the most popular name in like 50, 60 years ago. And now it's named like number 690, but it wasn't last, which means that there are babies that have been born in the last year that were named Gary. That's just weird. Well, I guess <laughs> and I, like I laughed. A, there's some names like that. It's like, I guess it depends on if they're preferred name, like given names or one thing. Cause it could be like Gary, whatever the fourth. And he like goes by. That's true. Something middle name or like some little nickname, whatever. I'm just envisioning like my five-year-old saying, Hey mom, can I go over to Gary's house? It's like, what? Right. Or it's like some, it's like, opal it's like yet a daughter it's like opal or pearl or gertrude or something yeah like, that. like there's some old names and i know that we have like i'm named jeff <laughs> that is one of the oldest names in the world but gary come on it's not as old as gary like people could still be named Je- uh, in, in fairness when was the last time you met a baby jeff it's been a long time probably yeah. about 30 years it just isn't that common anymore uh pro day happened pro day was great what a weird day like a circus of a day at pro day was like, I was expecting more. And then it was like sitting there with just the BYU sports nation interviews the whole time instead. And I was like, I don't know what the heck is happening. Do you you have your fingernails painted? I do. My daughter wanted to paint my fingernails and I haven't been able to get all of it off yet. So I have on one hand. It's like I was going to say, uh, all of it, that, that doesn't look like any of it is off yet. Like you're still rocking. No, that. no, like this one. It's like <laughs> they're off, but it's, I need to like go get some fingernails. You're just picking it off. I mean, yeah, it's slowly. Okay. It was, it's been there for like two days. That just caught my eye. I went, like I got catcher. it. Maybe you're just getting ready for opening day. Uh, yes, your I'm so excited for baseball season. The oh. I uh, no, I was getting my haircut yesterday, and the barber was like, "Ah, oh, you must have a daughter." <laughs> Let me guess, about two or three. And I was like, "Yep, you're, you're right. <laughs> Good for you." Um, I, I was with you. Pro day was a little bit weird because, like, I expected. Okay, 
I've been to proto hip BYU. It's, and I said this, I think on the show last week, I said it to you personally. I don't know if I said it on the show. Proto is one of the most boring events in the world to be at live. Like it is awful. Now this pro day had some excitement to it. So maybe it was a little bit more fun. Uh, but pro day is just kind of a weird thing, right? Like you're just watching guys work out. It's a weird event. And I expected nationally televised NFL network, all that stuff. I think I expected more of the workouts, but like we didn't see uh, Chandon Herring do anything. Right. Right. It was, we only saw, it was like, we saw Kyrus lift. We saw obviously Zach throw. That was the big, they spent an hour on that. Right. We saw a couple people run, but it really they didn't even show them doing it. It was just like, we just got word in that Zane Anderson ran a four, four, nine. Yeah. I was like, okay. I would have liked to see him run it, but whatever. I would have liked to see Micah Simons 40. I would have too. I, we did get to see it via the Carolina Panthers official account. After they signed him, they tweeted out a picture which I thought was weird. They tweeted out a picture of like a video of him running. And then the scout, I don't know if it was the scout, the coach, whoever it was from the Panthers was right there at the finish line. And they said like, I can't remember what the caption was, but essentially like they were scouting everybody and like no stone left unturned or something like that. This is the team that is sitting there with the number eight pick that has a desperate need for a quarterback that is not trading up to get a quarterback. And I thought it was interesting. Whatever their caption was, now I gotta go find it. Whatever their caption was, was like, uh, if I was a Carolina Panthers fan, I would be annoyed because no, you are not. It was in on every deal, is what they said. It's like, well, what about the deal that while the run was happening that they're to- posting this video of? What about the deal that happened that the third pick in the draft got traded away? Panthers desperately need a quarterback. Why were you in on that deal, Carolina? Because they got it was, it was a weird they got tweet. A, did they got their boy Will Greer and uh, Kyle <laughs> Allen? Gross. Um, what stood out though? I mean, Zach's Zach's he went viral. Like Zach's throwing session was great. But what stood out to you? What was the biggest takeaway from Pro Day? Um, I think the biggest takeaway f- for me. Well, honestly, the most surprising thing was Micah Simon. Like I knew Micah Simon, like he was fast enough, but he, I think he's gotten faster. Um, uh, the, you know, cause I was not expecting him to run in the four threes. Like that was no. he, why he got paid. Right. Like is because he put down a blazing, you know, blazing scene. Um, I think Kyrus coming in at like a five flat on his 40, that was very surprising to me. And I think really the most, the biggest, the most surprising thing, was Brady Christensen. And we thought, you know, we all knew Brady Christensen was good, but Brady Christensen had the pro day that we were talking about last week of like, oh, Channing Heron is Heron is an athletic freak and he's going to put up some crazy numbers. Like Brady Christensen had the pro yeah. day and proved himself to be the much better athlete than Herring. And that's, and that was a surprise to me because I thought Brady would be solid. Like, but I was not expecting him. It was like literally like everything that he did, he would have been basically in the top five of every single drill at the combine the last few years for an offensive lineman, like across the board, he was fantastic. And now you've even seen in the last couple of days, him moving from late round or whatever to people saying like, Oh, he's going to be a second or third round pick. Oh yeah. I don't, if he gets out of the third round, it'll be a miracle. I, I, I would be willing to bet after he talks with teams because he's just such a football junkie too. Like he's going to impress in interviews. I would, 
I, I think I put him as a late second rounder. That's where I have him. Um, I, I was, I was also impressed with Mike assignment. I wish I could remember what player it was. There was some player that tweeted about Mike assignment that was like, and the guy deserves all the kudos in the world, but the player said like this guy worked out. He had to, to get a nine to five just to get by. And I thought that was one of the more interesting things I've ever seen because you mean that's, the college graduate had to go get a nine to five job? Like, yeah, that's kind of the point of going to college is to get you that nine to five job. <laughs> Why we all do it. So I thought that was weird. Uh, but anyway, Michael Simon, he impressed me. I, I looked at, I was, I was pleased with Matt Bushman. Um, he didn't do the 40, right? Like there were still some things he couldn't do because of his ankle, but getting out and running the routes for Zach, uh, I mean, Zach wasn't, they weren't hiding Matt Bushman at all, right? When it came down to actually go play football, uh, he was running deep routes. He was running tricky routes. He was extending his body for catches. And obviously Zach's throwing session is about Zach, but I thought Bushman looked good. I think he looked agile enough to believe that, okay, this Achilles injury is still a thing. Like he still has to be careful but only six months removed from that injury for him to be out there catching passes like he was, that to me should signal to NFL scouts that, hey, this guy's for real. He's back. So that was a big takeaway. And then Chris Wilcox, man, like what could have been? He, six three and four three one speed. It's just, it sucks that injuries took the last couple of years away because, yeah. man, that is, I, I think he's got special cornerback potential in the league. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we've seen he can, his career can be very similar to Michael Davis's where it's like, you just get in there and start putting the time in, get some weight on, start with special teams, just running down the field. And, you know, if, if you can get paid to half a million dollars a year to do punt and kickoff coverage, that ain't so bad. Yeah. I'd say sign me up, but man, I'm envisioning myself taking on a block and I don't know that it's worth half a million dollars for me. Yeah, I'd do a lot of things for a half a million dollars, but I think I'd be dead. I don't know if you ran down. Uh, I mean, if I'm if I'm playing the gunner, right? Like, and I'm I'm on punt coverage, and I'm running down, and somebody is like, I have to take a a block head on. I think I die. I think I would die. I don't think you would die. You just might be crippled and in a wheelchair. I don't know, man. Death. That seems likely. Overall, Pro Day went really well. I don't know what more BYU could have asked for. Um, I hope it leads to draft picks. I have, okay, Zach obviously is going to get drafted. Brady is going to get drafted. I have Dax Milne getting drafted. I We were, and maybe we were off in our expectations. We hoped that he would break four fives, like he would get into the four fours. He ran a four five six, and then I think a four five four or something like that. That was where he wanted to be. Like he he made mention of that in his interview is that four mid four fives was where he was hoping to get, which tells me his agent has said, Hey, if you can get four five fives with all of your other tape and whatever else, that secures you a draft spot. So maybe he was just blowing smoke and the, he was disappointed in his time. But if that's true and we take that at face value, I've got to think that Dax Milne feels he is secure in his draft status. Kyrus Tonga put up 35 bench reps and really he put up 39, which is always interesting to me, right? Cause like maybe he didn't extend all the way or he didn't go down all the way. So he doesn't get credit, 
but he put it up 39 times, which if I'm a scout, okay, yes, you only get credit for 35 officially, but you still lifted that weight. Like I still right. know that you're strong I mean, enough maybe to take 39. 37, right? Yeah. Like, like, kind of split the difference. Right. Like, this is a crazy strong guy. Uh, I think Kyrus gets drafted. And I think Matt Bushman, to me, he's still iffy, but I think he did enough to, to sneak into the sixth or seventh round. I really believe BYU will have five players drafted and Chris Wilcox is kind of the, 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 the guy who's out there. Right. Between Bushman and Wilcox, one of them will sneak in. I think with Dax, the thing with me is like nothing is like he was what he was, right? Like there was nothing that was like, wow, I was not expecting him to do that. That like, he didn't turn any heads with his performance. And that's what I think. So it's, I think like, you know, he's probably going to be a late round pick, you know, four, five, five is fast enough, but it's not like, oh wow, you're cooking. Mm -hmm. And, and the, um, PFF has a third round grade on Dax Mill in their updated draft guide as of yesterday, that, which if he gets drafted in the third round, I think I'll, I don't know. We'll have to do something. I'll eat shoes. I'll eat something weird. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I think it's like, you know, he, and we talked about this last week. I think he's like a sixth or seventh. He could be like a fourth if he ran in the four fours and kind of turned some head and was like, okay, look, let's start looking at this kid more in Bushman. I just would have liked, he ran, the agility drills and did fine. Um, not great, but I would have liked to see him run that 40 just to like, be like, yes, like you're fine. You can move fast enough. And so it's, I think he, I could see Bushman going late. I could see someone just, I could see a bunch of teams waiting and being like, let's, he's coming off an injury. Let's see if we can get him as an undrafted free agent without tying up a pick form. Cause he's not going to be like a, I don't think he's going to be a priority for anybody. Um, and so it's I could see between him and Walcox, I could see one sneaking in uh, the sixth or seventh round, the other, you know, going undrafted or maybe both. Um, so, yeah, I I think I think five is probably the right number though in terms of guys getting drafted that I wouldn't be surprised to see. And but overall, pro day was good. I mean, obviously there was a lot of talk about it. The one Zach Wilson throw, people arguing, comparing it to Justin Fields, and they just they're different. Don't try to compare them because they're not the same throw. Well, and, and, and multiple throws can be good. Right. It's <laughs> That's not the other yes, thing. It's not a competition of who can throw on air, right? Like, and it's you can appreciate every multiple things for what they are. And it's not not everything has to be a competition. So don't be so insecure about it. Uh, but lastly, I guess our kind of last talk that we have moving on from Pro Day. Is Cannon DeVries coming to last night? We talked about him on the show a couple of weeks ago. The kid can move out of Weaver, like he can scoot, and he made it official last night and committed. Um, do you think is he is he going to play offense or defense? I think he is at he, what is he? He's he's six feet tall, and I think that's probably a little generous. To me, he seems like the most natural fit as a slot receiver. Uh, he could play corner. He could play safety. He could play inside or outside. He could even play running back. And I think he's talented enough that he could just be a special teams player and be really good. Like Canada Vries is one of my favorite players. He could do a lot of different things. I, if I were the coach of the world, I think slot receivers where I'm putting Canada Vries. He's just so dynamic with the ball in his hands. I've got to get him on offense. I love when BYU comes up to Northern Utah. Weber high guy. Uh, one of my favorite schools you, up here. Are you a Weber High guy? No, what high school did you? You went to Clearfield? Uh, I went to Clearfield, yeah. So I'm not a Weber High guy. I was 
constantly playing Weber High in baseball, basketball, and usually getting beat. Eh, not so much in baseball, but in, in, in baseball, they had uh, his name was Cole Abbott. He ended up pitching, he signed with BYU actually, but then got drafted by the Mets. And uh, the dude just threw gas. Like he was, he'd sit like 97, 98. That's why the Mets took him in like the eighth or ninth round or something, 10th round. I can't remember. But they drafted him and he ended up foregoing BYU. So he was drafted high enough, got enough guaranteed money that he he went pro. He didn't stick around for very long, didn't have a great career. He really only had a fastball. But when you're a 16-year-old high school junior, uh, man, that's cooking. That felt, that was hard. So that's what I think of when I think of Weber High School. Did, did, I don't, is there anyone else who has gone to Weber High School of note? Ty, Tyson Lewis is an uh, offensive yes. lineman at BYU now. Uh, he is a Weber High graduate. Uh, Ice Moa is a four-star committed to Utah. He is a Weber High gra- uh, senior. He's going to be a senior. He's also Canada DeVries. And then, oh, what's his name? Pierce. Pierce Jackson? Shoot, I can't remember. But Pierce something. He was a kicker a couple of years ago. And I got into an argument with the 24-7 ratings council because I argued hard that this kicker should be ranked inside the top 10 of BYU's prospects or not BYU's but the state of Utah's prospects that year they didn't do it but damn it he was good like I watched him he was easily hitting like 55 60 yard field goals in the game at Weber High School he was nails and I think he ended up signing at Utah State went on a mission and he's probably going to be their kicker this year and I know it's a kicker right like I know it's not sexy to put a kicker inside the top 10 but that guy was so good. It was the same year that Puka. So what was that? Like 2018? Yeah. Pierce Callister, maybe? 2019. I can't remember. I can't remember. No. Uh, but I, I wanted him inside the top 10. And I don't even know if he made the top 20, frankly, because. Okay, let me take he, a look here. Samote Peppa. Um, he is not in the top. BS because he should have been. Pierce. Uh, did I'm Pierce Callister? He was ranked number forty-two in the state. Yeah, he should have been top ten. I, <laughs> I, I stand by that. I will go to my grave saying that when it comes down to the best prospects in the state of Utah, I don't care what position they play. Right? If you're one of the best, you're one of the best. And you look at like the top ten. The top 10 in that year, the top 24-7 rankings, it ended up being like Logan Sagapolu, Lolani Longi, Boone Abbott, Hunter Hill, Michael Daly, Remedy Akuteo, Blake Freeland. So, like, Blake Freeland's going to be great. He was probably underrated. And, and, and maybe Logan Sagapolu, who went to Oregon, went on a mission. Maybe he ends up being good. Lolani Longi had the talent but hasn't done anything yet. Uh, we haven't seen Michael Daly. Boone Abbott can't win the job. At, at Hawaii hasn't won the job at Hawaii yet. He still could. So maybe something is there. Remedy Akuteo ended up at SUU. CJ Alatini, who was ranked 13th, he didn't go anywhere. And you look at behind that, and it's a bunch of iffy guys. Why not Pierce Callister? Because I truly believe that he's going to be a weapon as a kicker in Logan 
why wouldn't you, I mean, at 40, what was he, 41, 42? Why would you not put him at least ahead of guys like, I don't know, uh, Terrence Faumui, who went nowhere, uh, Cannon Yarrow, who went to SUU? Like, come on. This is a kicker. He deserved that top 10 ranking. I'm still a little bit pissed that it didn't happen. You know, I will give that to you, Jeff. And I think just as you are giving the 24-7 rating people hell for Pierce Callister and all of his punting glory, let's try to give everything we do this week hell and have a good one. Give them hell.